think Matthew may have set it up that um, I'm coming over here this morning. By the way, my name is Jeff. I'm the uh, campus pastor at Yorkson Campus in Willoughby. Um, it's a privilege to be here, but I think Matthew set it up that I would be coming over the morning after the Canucks and Flames played. I really do. <laughs> and as much as I was praying, I, was, I think some of you here were praying much harder uh, because let's just say my team didn't win. So uh, oh, I had to just sneak in here and just say hi. So yes, yes, um, I can take it. Um, I also, lastly, want to say it's Christmas time. It's December. Some of you may have not realized that, but the calendar has flipped. It's Christmas time. And maybe with this, some of your traditions have started. Maybe the eggnog has been like brought in by the caseload, um, and you're just chugging it all the time, every day. Maybe your tree is up. Maybe you're decorating today, or you already have. And maybe the Taylor Swift Christmas album is playing nonstop, just like every other teenage girl's uh, house with every other teenage Taylor Swift song. Those are all traditions that we have, but I want to let you know, too, that the church itself, meaning the whole church, the big C church uh, around the world, has traditions as well. One of them, in regards to Christmas, is that we take four Sundays to prepare ourselves for the birth of Jesus. And we do so through our Advent candles, which one of them was Cal and Susie lighting today. Um, there are four words attached to each of the candles. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Matthew spoke on hope, and this week we're focusing on peace. For 1,500 years, we've been doing this as a church, so we enter into the tradition that has been going on for a long time. And I think about this, I think about us lighting the candle of peace, and I get the beautiful picture of that, but then I start to think about our world today, and I just, I really wonder if those two pictures are moving further and further apart. Do you feel it? I don't know about you, but maybe it, you see it in the world or it hits a bit close to home, but it seems like there is a weariness in our world today. Maybe not felt ever. Maybe COVID has amplified this more, but it just seems that we are a bit more vulnerable and we are a little bit more weary. Author Anne Voskamp actually goes as far to say this. She says, by default, most of us have taken the dare to simply survive. For the most part, we live numb to life. We've grown weary and apathetic and wounded. We are tired and we are weary. Now we can say, Anne, that's a little bit drastic, don't you think? Like it's Christmas time. But I think actually what she says rings true for probably many of us here today. And so my question is this. Do we have peace that God can heal our weary souls? Do we have peace that God can meet us in our weariness and bring healing to us? Do, is there an area for us that we feel numb to life, that we feel apathetic, wounded, or just plain weary? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not a naysayer of Christmas, and I think Christmas is beautiful, it's magical. How can a season with the Boney M Christmas album not be magical? Amen? Amen. Thank you. Yes. There's Christmas displays, you know, that go up in our homes. There's Christmas lights to go look at around the neighborhood. Uh, 209 A Street, just off 84th and Willoughby, just across the highway. It is beautiful and magical. You have to go see it. Um, there's also family get-togethers, which I know for some of you, it's like, yes, I can't wait when the family gets together. And I know that there's some of us who go, oh no, the family's getting together because it's hard. But at the exact same time, and I think we are capable of holding this tension, at the exact same time we're excited for Christmas and all that it brings, 
we also hold the tension of our weary souls at hand. Maybe we wonder if the world has really gone too far, especially over the last number of months, to ever experience peace again. Maybe closer to home for us, if you're a student here this morning, you wonder if you'll ever get through exam week and finish papers and get the marks that you need to get before you can relax for Christmas. Maybe for some of us, we've lost a loved one and we sit in grief in our weariness today and we wonder, is the pain and grief of my lost loved one ever going to get better? We wonder how our paychecks will cover the unending expenses that seem to always come in. And we wonder maybe if the conflicts and wounds that have been there maybe for a while from a friend, a boss, or a family member will ever be rectified and redeemed. We feel the weariness of our souls. And so I ask again, do we have peace that God will meet us there and that he will heal our peace? Would you join me as we pray this morning? And so, Heavenly Father, we come in today, and if we're vulnerable with you, we bring our whole selves to you. Not the happy, um, merry, jolly Christmas time only. We bring in our weariness as well. And we admit that freely before you this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, would you meet us in our weariness today? Would you speak to us in the places uh, that need healing and a touch from you today? We thank you that you are a God who loves us deeply and meets us where we are at this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the New Testament, and each of them gives kind of their own account of the life of Jesus. That's how the New Testament begins. But we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke who are kind of over here, and what they do is they get right into the story of Jesus' birth. So that's where we get the the imagery of the stable, Uh, we get the wise men, the angels, you know, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, all of that stuff is right there because they just jump right into that. John is kind of over here, he's like one of those guys that doesn't belong here, you know that? And, And he's over here and he's like, instead of getting into the story, let me just pause for a minute. And I want to give you um, an overview of what is to come in the rest of the book, in the life of Jesus as I've seen it. It's basically an overture. We saw it on the screen and we heard it. It's an overture to the rest of the book. You music people know exactly what an overture is. I'm not a music person. I'm really bad at music. Um, So I looked this up. An overture is the first piece of a musical or an opera that sets up what the rest of the play or opera is going to be about. It's not itself the story. It's just setting us up for what is to come. And this is exactly what John does in the first 18 verses, and this is what we are covering in these four weeks of Advent, the overture of the arrival of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Matthew talked about um, verses 1 to 3 in the Gospel of John, and so I want to read those to set us up here. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. We following? We're good so far? If you were here last week, you're like, oh yeah, I remember some of that. If you weren't, you're like, is this a a tongue twister? Is this like, I don't get this. Words with God, I don't know, all around. Um, I would say it's well worth it to listen to the message from last week online. 
But in essence, this is it. Is that Jesus is the word embodied. And he was with God the Father in Genesis, creating all things. Jesus was right there from the start. And John, in his overture, very intentionally tells us this because the first three words of John chapter 1 correspond exactly with the first three words in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning. There is something new here that has never been before. God simply speaks things into existence. And it's interesting, if you read the Genesis creation account, all sorts of things are created. Things like land, stars, vegetation, creatures, man and woman, like everything is created. But the very first thing that is created in in, in verse 3 is that God says, he looks out over the darkness and he says, let there be light. Let there be light. And you kind of have to wonder, is light mentioned first because something has to go first, right, of course? Or does it tell us about the importance of light in order to usher in the rest of creation? See, light is a huge deal in Scripture. We're going to see a few more examples of this, but it is all the way and laden in Scripture. Light is also a pretty big deal in our lives today. Just a a year after high school, uh, sorry, my year after high school, I went to a Bible college called Cape and Ray, um, and part of that time was spent down in the great state of Texas. Uh, the moderator of our elders is from there, so I'm just kind of sucking up. But uh, Texas is a great place, but beyond everything it has, including hockey teams and baseball teams and football teams, all of that, I had no idea that Texas was known not only for its heat and sports, but also for the amount of creepy crawlies that exist in Texas. And I don't mean just the huge snakes and spiders, but there's fire ants, there's these thing called crazy ants. Um, And there's these things called scorpions that run everywhere in Texas. Seriously, I think they're in every spot ever. Um, Scorpions are a little bit scary because they sting you, and you don't want to be stung. And they were all over our um, Bible school as well. And I remember a few nights that some of the guys would wake up to a shriek, and I'd be like, well, what happened? And what happened was a scorpion crawled into their bed and stung them while they were sleeping. That happened on the bottom bunk quite a bit. Selfish me just made sure I was on the top bunk all the time. I'm like, sucks for you down there. All right, whatever. Um, but speaking of the creepy crawlies, we were walking one day, one evening in the dark, and I don't know how this happened to this, this day, but all of a sudden, I'm walking fine, I'm talking with my friends, and we're walking down this path, and all of a sudden, someone yells out to me, Jeff, stop. So I stopped immediately, like, what's, what's going on? And they turned their flashlight on and illuminated into the darkness. And in front of me, about two feet, was a spider's web that was like, seriously, like, I can't make it big enough with my hands. It was so big. And then in in the middle of that spider's web was this spider that was probably three times the size of my hand. You're like, is that a hyperbole? Yeah, it's probably a hyperbole. But it was huge. It was huge, okay? Um, It makes like wolf spiders look like so tiny and cute. But this one was like massive. And him and I locked eyes when the light came on. And I swear he was waiting for me for lunch or supper. I think he was salivating at the thought that my face would get tangled in his web and that I would die a slow and terrible death. But what saved me out of this? In the darkness, light was shown. Light is saving. Light is illuminating. And light pushes away the darkness. Listen to theologian Leslie Newbigin. 
He states this, he says, the business of light is to banish darkness. Where there is light, there cannot be darkness. Try it out. 100% of the time, it works. Where light is, darkness cannot be. But like I said, it is laden through scripture over 200 more times, light and darkness are referenced, these two opposing pictures. In Isaiah chapter 9, this is still in the Old Testament, but it's a prophecy about Jesus to come. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So beautiful. When Jesus is walking on the earth, later on in John chapter 8, actually Jesus uses this for himself. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then this imagery, Jesus then later turns to his people, and I think this is just so powerful when he says, actually, uh, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. For those who follow me and, and I reside in, you are now the light of the world to go out, and your job is to banish the darkness. Seriously, once you start to see it in Scripture, you just can't unsee light and dark all over the place. And so I want to return us back to John chapter 1. Um, I read the first three verses, but today we're focusing on verses 4 and 5. And to listen to this, how it just, it just continues into this mode here. It says in verse 4, In him, meaning Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, not only does in the beginning connect us intentionally, right? John 1, Genesis 1. But this phrase, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, also connects us to Genesis. Also connects us because John is very intentional with this overture and he's telling us what has come and what is coming. You see, if light shines in the darkness in Genesis 1, We know that darkness is everything that light is not. And so if light is creation, if light is order, if light is creativity and beauty, dark is the opposite of those things. It is the destructive forces against our world. It is the chaos and disorder that it brings to everything. But in verses 4 and 5, John is not just looking at creation in Genesis but he's looking at something else. Remember, this is an overture. He's giving us a sneak peek into the rest of the book of John. And what he does here is he doesn't just look back at creation, but he looks ahead. And in this, where it says that the darkness has not overcome it, John actually wants us to look ahead to the cross, to the place later in John where he will describe that Jesus goes to a cross and suffers a horrible death. Because what happens at the cross? At the cross is where the full force of darkness is felt. Everything that darkness could muster meets Jesus at a cross. And we're told that in in, in the Bible, that even before the, the crucifixion took place, that Jesus was whipped over and over with lashes. We know historically that people who were lashed died so often even before they made it to the cross to be crucified. This is how severe it was. But Jesus perseveres through that. He carries his own cross to the place. He gets gets lifted up and he dies this slow, horrible death. 
It is, if cre- is it, it is as if darkness is looking on smiling because it knows that it has defeated the light. It has defeated Jesus. But I love this because the Christian story does not end at the cross. It ends at the empty tomb. You see, the darkness um, was trying to overcome the light because the light shines in the darkness. And what does it tell us in verse 5? That the darkness has not overcome it. It's like the full force of darkness came upon Jesus, but it could not win. And John says to us, it will not win. And in fact, if we want to connect Genesis in all of this, just to add another layer to the onion that we're peeling back, I love scholar Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. He says this, he points out that, quote, every day in the creation account, there is a cycle of light and dark, except for the seventh day, which has no evening. Look it up, it doesn't. It's as if to say light wins on the seventh day. I've never read the creation account that way before. But it says every day there's morning and there's evening, morning and evening. But it's as if to say on the seventh day, finally, light has won and there is no darkness. The light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. As scripture says, death was swallowed up by life. And so it takes on new meaning when we, when we read about the fact that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It is not only when the birth of Jesus comes, when he comes as a baby, but when he dies on a cross. John wants us to think forward in his overture to the cross. Essentially, Jesus is saying here, the work is done. Or to reference another phrase that Jesus says, actually only in John, not in the other three. Jesus says, it is finished. What is finished? All that Jesus set out to do and the light that is to come, the darkness will never overcome it because it is finished. Just like God says in the sixth day of creation when he says he has finished the work that he has come to do. It's beautiful. Leslie Newbigin, the business of light is to banish the darkness. Some of us here are still fans of Lord of the Rings after all these years. Probably going to get to a point where people are like, what is Lord of the Rings? I'll be like 80, I'll be preaching and people are like, I don't get it. I don't know. But I want to reference this now because there's an incredible scene in the second movie, Two Towers, where there's this battle unlike anything previously seen in Middle Earth. These beasts called orcs are being created and they're being created by the thousands and their sole purpose is to bring death and destruction to Middle-earth. They go against and battle all that is light. And they actually come and descend on this place called Helm's Deep. It's a fortress where the, the forces of good and, and light are all being uh, they're stationed in there. And it's interesting that these orcs march down into this valley, this plain at Helm's Deep. And they come down at nightfall to begin and wage war in the middle of darkness. And a battle ensues. And it seems like it's going back and forth a little bit, but you just get this feeling that dark is going to win. You get the feeling there's just too many orcs, there's too many beasts for the light to have any chance of winning. And just as it seems that all is lost and that the darkness is going to win, you see Aragorn, the rightful king, and he's reminded of this prophecy on the fifth day, look to the east at dawn. 
at the beginning of the cycle of light. And as he does so, at that moment that the light appears, there's Gandalf the White with all of his forces of light to come and defeat the orcs once and for all. N.T. Wright says, the one that we know as Jesus is identical, it seems, with the word who was there from the very start. The word challenged the darkness before creation and now challenges the darkness that is found tragically within creation itself. The word is bringing into the new creation, bringing being into the new creation in which God says once more, let there be light. The darkness has come, but it will not overcome the light. And so now I want to come back to this question for us from the beginning. Do we have peace that God can heal our weary souls? I think it's directly tied in with a statement that Jesus says, it is finished. Because we struggle in our weariness today. It is finished, Jesus says in the book of John. He is declaring that what he has come to do is completed. That darkness could not overcome him and darkness will not overcome him. It is finished. And Jesus is actually the completion of so many that have gone before him. There's so many examples, and let me just give you a few of what I mean, that Jesus is the completion of so many that have gone before him. Jesus is the completion of Adam. Adam is the first person created, the one of, of creation, but through his obedience to God became the conduit by which sin entered the world. Humanity needed the hope of a new creation, and Jesus is the one who gives us the opportunity for brand new life. Jesus is the completion of Abraham. In the Bible, God appeared to a man named Abraham generations before Jesus, and he told Abraham that all people would be blessed through him. Jesus is born into the lineage of Abraham, and we're told that the blessing from Jesus is not for a certain time, but it is forever. Jesus is also the completion of Joseph. Joseph was a man who was betrayed by his own brothers, but the events of that betrayal would then lead to a salvation for his people at the time from death. Jesus is the completion because he was also betrayed, but that betrayal would lead to his death on a cross, which would lead the way for salvation for all people. Jesus is the completion of Joshua. Joshua was the man in the Old Testament who led the people finally out of slavery once and for all and into their home of freedom. Jesus, by his death on the cross, gave us a way to be free from slavery once and for all and to find our place of ultimate freedom. And out of many more examples, Jesus is the completion of David. David was a king of all Israel, ruling uh, with a good heart and for the good of his people. Jesus has come, and from his throne in heaven he's come, to lead his people both now and forever with a heart that is for us. Jesus is the light of all mankind, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so here we are on December 3rd, 2023, feeling the joy of Christmas, but also the weariness of our souls this morning. And we may say, well, if the darkness has not overcome it, I'm feeling darkness today. It is true that it is finished at the cross, but one day all things will be made new. But we're not there yet. Having the privilege of pastoring for a number of years, 
It's given me a window into some of the weariness of our church family across all three campuses. Of people struggling financially. Of a diagnosis that has shaken a family to their core. Of people who are um, living in the wake of a spouse who has just up and walked away from their marriage. And of people who are seriously questioning their faith even as they've walked with Jesus for some time because they're at a place where they're saying, I just cannot see how God is working in my life the way I want him to. And as I see these things from a pastor's point of view, I'm reminded that the weariness of my own soul is not alone. That I join in with the weary around us as well in my own things that I struggle with. My weariness in this struggle that comes with a self-image that is often far too much tied with either the successes or the struggles of a church plant. That I struggle with anxiety that has been my companion in my own journey for what I feel is just far too long. That I struggle with wondering if some of my own broken relationships will ever find redemption. I think maybe just as I get older, I'm a firm believer that all of these things can continue to be true at once. That following Jesus doesn't mean I put a smile on my face all the time, but when I do, it doesn't feel fake. I can feel the joy of Christmas, and I can feel the weariness of my soul. Do we have peace that God can heal our weary soul? See, following Jesus does not make everything better. If you're here searching out faith and you're wondering if Jesus is worth following with every ounce of my being, I would say yes. But please know this, it does not come with a promise that all things will be better instantly. In fact, Jesus says in his own words, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And how have I overcome the world? Through the cross. Through the utterance of those words, it is finished. You see, Jesus is the completion of so many people in Scripture, and Jesus knows the completion of our story, and he is with us every single step of the way. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so I believe that Jesus is speaking to us in our anxieties today and in our struggle to tell us that it is finished. Because of the cross, because of light coming into darkness and darkness never winning, it is finished. He offers us a real rest as we ask him to give us peace. That today Jesus is speaking into our self-image. That he's telling us that we that it is finished, that we are the image bearers of God and that because of this, we no longer have to strive for God's approval or others. Jesus is speaking into our relentless sense of hurry, of scrambling to get things done, of our sense that maybe doing more makes us feel more satisfied and he's clearly telling us that it is finished. You don't have to keep running in life. That this morning, Jesus speaks into our insecurities our fears, our stubbornness, and our pain. The cross of Christ has everything to do with the birth of Christ. John is reminding us of this. He doesn't want us to miss this in verses 4 and 5. 
And the rest of the story, the rest of the Gospel of John is going to tell us how. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. These are the words of Jesus a couple thousand years ago, and they are the words for us today. It is finished. John 1, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Would you join me as we pray? And so, Heavenly Father, as I prayed at the beginning, that we bring all of ourselves into this place this morning. God, you, you know the places that we are weary today. You know the places that we are questioning. You know the places where we wonder, can this continue the way it is going? God, you know the struggles that we feel inside. And God, I cling to those words that you encouraged us to, to have. It's, it's just take heart. To take heart because it is finished. And Jesus, by what you've done on the cross, entirely affects how I live and see life today. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak peace into the chaos of our lives? Would you speak peace into the disorder that we feel? Would you speak peace into the destruction that feels so close to us? Would you remind us that death and destruction and darkness has not and will not overcome us because of Jesus? In Jesus' strong name we pray, amen.